O Lord, we do not live by bread alone, but by the grace of your word made flesh. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We mark the season of Lent, not because we like doing traditional things, not because we are melancholy, not, not because we are particularly reverent. From the earliest days of the church, followers of Jesus have recognized that Easter is most fully celebrated and appreciated when we have prepared for it. 40 is a significant number for Jews and Christians. It's the number of days that the rains fell when Noah was in the ark, the number of years that the Hebrew people journeyed from Egypt to the promised land, the number of days that Jesus spent in the wilderness being tempted. 40 is a number of completeness, signaling that the proper amount of time has passed. And so 40 days before Easter, we begin preparing for it with Lent, a season of examination and honesty, when we name the inevitability of death, the pervasiveness of sin, and our utter reliance on God to sustain us. And there are a lot of ways to do this, to have a holy Lent. Some people like to give things up, such as alcohol, chocolate, or social media. Others like to take on disciplines, reading scripture, serving the poor, or praying. At St. Luke's, we are mostly inviting you to use more of your time to draw closer to God. Time is the only non-renewable resource there is, and so it is the most valuable. Whether it is morning and evening prayer during the week, the sacrament of confession and Eucharist on Wednesdays, group studies on Wednesday evenings, walking the labyrinth on Sundays before or after worship, or midweek meditations on Wednesdays at 12.30. Lent at St. Luke's is about spending time with God to contemplate our lives, how they are aligned with Jesus' way of love, and where we are out of tune with those notes of God's grace. As far as the sermons in Lent go, my goal is to prepare us for the glory and the newness of resurrection life by looking honestly at the culture of death in which we find ourselves. Yes, we are all mortal and we will all die. For a fuller treatment on the topic, I would refer you to the Ash Wednesday sermon from four days ago. But death is not only what happens when our organs stop functioning. Life is a gift from God. And when that gift is squandered, we find death. When we pursue things that lead us away from the Lord of life, we are living in the shadow of death. When we stray from the way of love, we miss out on the abundance of life that God intends for us. Partisanship is death. War is death. Greed is death. Being mean and petty is death. Lying is death. Not doing things that bring us closer to God is death. So when we don't pray, don't give, don't serve, don't read scripture, and don't come to church, we are leaving more space for death to fill in those gaps. 
For us to celebrate the gift and the glory of new life given at the resurrection at Easter, we have to be honest about our death-wielding, death-dealing, and death-denying culture. In the readings, each Sunday in Lent, death is present. And so it is my plan to both point out that death and then direct us to how Jesus gives us abundant life as an alternative. Today, we have three different kinds of death in the reading from Luke. Every first Sunday in Lent, the gospel reading is about the temptation of Jesus. The version changes year to year, but we always hear from Matthew, Mark, or Luke about how Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness after his baptism at the Jordan River, being tempted by the devil. Now, as to what or who the devil is, that would be a whole other sermon. So let's not spend too much time on this point. The word itself, devil, just means the slanderer. The devil is an idea, system, or person who gaslights you, who accuses you falsely, who invites you into conflict, who is a menace to you receiving God's blessings, who calls you into joining in slandering God, who brings us into the valley of the shadow of death. And to be very clear, the devil that we most often run into is the one that we see in the mirror. In the wilderness, Jesus encounters such a devil. Now for us, wilderness generally means a forest or a wooded area, but not in Israel. There, wilderness is a desert. Jesus is in a place devoid of life, a place where people die of hunger, thirst, beasts, and heat. And there are two things to keep in mind about what happened in the previous chapter of Luke. Jesus was baptized, and a voice came from heaven and said, You are my son, the beloved. And immediately after that, Luke then records the genealogy of Jesus, which I will not read in full. But it concludes with son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. So keep in mind, as we consider the temptation narrative, Jesus has just been declared as God's beloved son, and he is a son of Adam. And we need to be very clear about this. This is a story about Jesus, not us. This story is not recorded in scripture so that we will know how to resist temptation or to avoid the wiles of the devil. Never, ever try to go head-to-head -head with evil on your own. You will lose every single time because the devil has more endurance than you do. The devil is smarter than you. The devil knows us better than we know ourselves. The devil is craftier than you are. The devil is stronger than you are. And as we will see in the third temptation, the devil can quote scripture with the best of them. The temptation of Jesus shows us what has been done for us, not what we need to do. And what Jesus does for us is to rescue us from the dead situations that we find ourselves in and brings us into life. First, Jesus is tempted in regards to his physical needs, hunger in the wilderness, the devil says, you created all of this. If you're hungry, just turn some stones into some bread. 
What's interesting is that the things that Jesus are tempted to do are not bad. They are not wrong. And Jesus will actually do all of them later. It's not a question of what, but why. Here, if he had turned those stones to bread, he would be signaling that he does not rely on God, his Father, to be his strength. But later, when it comes to Jesus showing himself to be the bread of life given for the life of the world, he does. He turns five loaves into many to feed thousands. It's not a temptation about bread. It's about trust in God. We doubt God. We take things into our own hands, whereas Jesus does not falter in faith. The next temptation is about authority. You can rule all of creation, tempts the devil. You just need to worship me first. Now, to be clear, Jesus will claim that very authority at his ascension. In Matthew, we hear Jesus say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Jesus' authority as the Lord over all things, though, comes not as the result of him taking it by force, but only after he has been faithful to his mission. To take a shortcut would mean that there would be no cross. And with no cross, no resurrection. And with no resurrection, we would be locked out of everlasting life. It's not a temptation about Jesus claiming the authority that is his. It's about whether or not he has done what needs to be done to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We like shortcuts, even if it takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus, though, walks the way of God. And the third temptation is about physical death. Throw yourself down from the temple in Jerusalem. Later, Jesus will do just that. He will give up his body in Jerusalem. So it's not that Jesus is unwilling to die. Rather, Jesus knows that God is not to be mocked or tested. Jesus will face death on the cross so that when we face death, we do not so alone and we follow him into the way of everlasting life. The point of Luke writing this story down for us is so that we know that Jesus trusted in God even when we do not. As I pointed out, Jesus is identified as a son of Adam. We also are sons of Eve and daughters of Adam. Our ancestors gave into temptation in eating the forbidden fruit in Eden, and we all give into temptation. We seek to fill ourselves with that which does not satisfy us. But Jesus was faithful and obedient to God and gives himself to us as the bread of life to nourish us in his mercy and grace. Whereas we want to claim authority over our lives, Jesus remains resolute to the great creed of faith. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Our hearts are idolatrous and lustful, and no amount of self-discipline can change that. What Jesus does is to give us his righteousness so that though our hearts are prone to wander, we remain in the flock of the good shepherd who is always searching for lost sheep. When we are so cavalier as to tell God how God will act, Jesus is faithfully obedient 
We can so easily be tempted to do things that we ought not to do and to not do the things that we really should be doing. We think, well, I know I shouldn't do this, but God would forgive me if I did, and no one has to know about it. Or we say, you know, there are a lot of people that haven't come back to church yet, and God knows what's in my heart, so I'll just come back later. Jesus does not tell God what to do. Rather, he knows that God is the one who directs his life. We so often choose death, but in Jesus, God gives us life. Twice in these temptations, the devil assaults and slanders Jesus' identity, saying, if you are the Son of God. Now, Jesus had just been baptized. He heard the voice from heaven declare, you are my beloved Son. But the slanderer comes and says, is that really what you heard? Jesus is resolute in his identity as God's beloved, which allows us to be resolute in knowing that we have been saved by his love. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor in Nazi Germany who was killed in a death camp. He once wrote, who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. Jesus came to be tempted, to suffer, to die, and to rise again so that we might live in him. Jesus overcame sin and defeated death because we could not. Those are not our battles to fight. Instead, we are given the life of grace, the identity of God's redeemed and beloved children to enjoy and share this gift of love that we have been given. If there is anything that we are supposed to do in response to this story of Jesus' temptation, is it is simply to see what has been done for us so that we can focus on freedom, the freedom of love, instead of bondage to selfishness, doubts, and fears. There's a story, more than a photo than a story, that's come out of the Ukraine this past week that has absolutely inspired me and shows me what it looks like to live knowing that because of Jesus all shall be well and that we are to persist in his love. It's a photo of a priest in Kyiv, Ukraine, celebrating the Eucharist in a bomb shelter. A bishop in Ukraine sent out a video message to the faithful there saying, greetings. We survived yet another horrible night. But after night, there comes day. There is morning. After darkness, there comes light. Just as after death, there comes resurrection, which we all today radiantly celebrate. And because it is not safe for the people there to be in the streets, the clergy have been sent into the underground, into the bomb shelters to bring communion, the bread of life, to the people. One priest was quoted as saying, our life is in God's hands. Because Jesus has conquered sin and destroyed death, we can be so bold as to do things like proclaiming the resurrection in a war zone, like celebrating the Eucharist in a bomb shelter, like embracing the life of grace, mercy, and love that have been given to us.